there's illegal brothels and illegal brothels. So your illegal brothels are like your, your shops, um, massage shops and things like right. that. So bear in mind, not all massage shops are illegal brothels, but there's a lot. So anyway, but went down to a legal brothel and in Victoria there's about 90 legal brothels and we'd received information that um, there was a woman, a, a sex worker, who had been um, secreted in a wall. So when authorities came around to check the brothels, she would be put into a wall cavity. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to sit down and have a chat. And um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, th- yeah, thanks, Luke. And uh, and it was it, it was uh, I, I must say it's a bit out of the um, it was a bit out of the blue when you contacted me, and uh, and uh, it's uh, uh, it's one of those things where you know an email comes in and you go, oh look, I'm just not sure about this, and 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 particularly sort of unsolicited, and uh, and then then you sent the follow up, and I thought oh, I must be serious, so I do a little bit of li- little bit of research, a little bit of investigative research, to then. Um, and then go. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm up for this. It's. Um, I think it is uh, great to have the opportunity to share to share the story. Um, and and each uh, and you know we'll get in my background shortly. But each police have their own story of their trials and tribulations throughout their career. So um, yeah, no, no, I really appreciate the opportunity. So yeah. Should I be worried that a ex police officer is investigating me? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, and it's funny. It's um, it's I, I do. It's you know, over over my career. It is the you, know, you sort of sit there and um, and you're at parties or whatever gathering, and it's it and and I'll jump forward to now that it's it's interesting talking to people at parties when I was in mm. police and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm police," and not that they would shut down, um, but that be there wouldn't be they wouldn't be as open. I don't know why. And mm. now I'm out of the out of police. It's interesting how open people are when I say I'm ex police, and now I'm actually running <laughs> business. And it's sort of like, oh well, that's a bit. That's that's like I I, I just noticed this this shift in in um in the energy I towards you in, in people's attitude towards me. So just when I introduce myself and things, it's it's quite an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, you know, it is Richard when I. Whenever I met a police officer in the past, like the feeling is like, oh, they're going to research me on their computer afterwards and find out who I am and what I've done and that you know the parking tickets I might have or whatever it is. And I think that's the feeling that comes up. Or like, if I do something wrong, they're going to be like onto me about it. So that's the the feeling that I've had in the past, especially some of the things I've done in the past. I'm like, oh, they're going to look at what I've done and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's interesting you say that because I remember when I you know, first joined police um, in. Uh, 1994, so I joined the academy in Victoria in 1994, September. And that's the year uh, that I was born. Oh, was it? Oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. well I was just, uh, what was I? I was 21 years old then, and I really didn't know what I was doing. But, uh, but as for it, there was a lot less accountability then. So when you're talking about that type of thing, it's nowadays, it's it, there's a lot more accountability around that. So let's just say I met you. At a party and go, oh, just that like just doesn't seem right. It's not as though I can then go back and do checks um, and get. It's the, the amount of, of um, yeah, accountability and saying, well, why are you doing this check on this person? And you know, is it work related or are you just for sheer entertainment value? 
And yep. um, so, so I think it comes from a lot of a lot of you know bad American cop shows that I that I never <laughs> yeah. watched. And I sit there getting so frustrated. <laughs> right, going, no way will this be solved in forty two minutes plus ads. Yeah, and it's just yeah. outrageous to me. And uh, so I can't watch police shows, but it's um, it, it, I did. I grew up with a show um, called uh, Cop Shop, and it was mm-hmm. you know, it was set it, it set in um, yeah, what, what was that? That when the late seventies, early eighties, and it was a as a popular show at the time. Looking back on it now, it was that it was absolute rubbish, but um, it, it I don't know. It's something that's stuck with me, and uh, and. I didn't always want to be police. It, uh, it a, a, a girlfriend at the time, she, uh, she, she, she had joined, and she said, "Oh, there's nine weeks a year leave," and I've got it's like a job for me, not not actually knowing what police did at all. Like, yeah. I had no understanding really. I mean, I'd see a police car around, but I didn't actually generally. I didn't really have an understanding of well, what do they do. And even watching mm. police shows, you sort of go, I still don't have an understanding of what they do. Um, and so I applied and and um, oddly enough, I, I got in. And and so I uh, started at the academy in September, yeah, as I say, September 1994, mm-hmm. uh, not realising what I'd ne- in for. I'd never held a gun. So we're doing firearms training. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, had never really, apart from a couple of fights at school, didn't know what defensive tactics were, hadn't really seen an angry person in my life. Um, <laughs> so here I am faced with all this at, at the academy and then dealing with the dynamics of well, what um, you know could be termed, uh, say, in the, at the time in the academy for 20 weeks and what mm. could be to, to, um class there's almost de-civilianization for the first 10 weeks and they it's um certainly wasn't an us and them attitude but it was something to go well you're the police now you've got to step up and you get your level of authority above you know the rest of the community and i go oh yeah i get that Mm. um and and i think also at the time i needed that structure as well like I, i um, I grew up in a, oh, it wasn't as though it was a, a massively strict family or anything like that. It was a good family and it was a good upbringing. Mm. Um, I was the younger, oh, I, just, I was the youngest. I am the youngest still of, of, um, of seven boys. And seven boys, wow. Seven boys, yeah. Wow. And so there was all that, um, all that structure that, that you know, mum and dad, but particularly mum, put in place to make sure we pretty well survived into adulthood because, as you can imagine, seven boys running a muck, what, what could possibly go wrong there? And Nothing uh, at all. <laughs> yeah. And so having, like, going from going into the police force, so a few years after high school, going to the police force and um, and getting that structure was was uh, was a was a bonus for me. I didn't really have to have to think that much. And um, can I ask just quickly on that, yeah. if you don't mind, if I just chime in? Yeah. Do you think that that structure um, is what all is it like a rite of passage for men? Do you think all men need some kind of kick up the ass, so to speak, and you yes. know, structure like that? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I I. I I do think so. Um, for I, I do, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that there's a there's a big balance, or probably even an imbalance between between nature and nurture. 
and you know, yeah. nature does part of the work, um, but then you know, the, the, the old, it takes a village to raise, you know, raise a person. And but when it comes to if I if I think about uh, I think about us seven boys, Mum did a really really good job. I mean Mum and Dad, but as I say, predominantly Mum um, mm. did a really good job of kicking us up the bum when we needed it, um, and 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 pulling it pulling us into line, and uh, and uh, and I think that that's what got all of us boys through to being yeah you know, quite good quite good men if you if yep. I put it that way so um and and I'm not and I'm not a, not ashamed to say that you know I'm not going to go oh you know, I'm not I have tickets on myself I, I think all all of us um all of us boys came up and grew up as quite good men because mum um steered us in the right direction and um, yeah. If we strayed, would be sort of be be understanding, but would yeah, and then redirect firm. us. Kind of thing. Yeah, firm. Yeah. Firm's a really good way of putting it. So, um, and that's no small feat. Like seven boys, you know. There's the statistics on that. There's got to be at least one person there that goes astray. So seven, you know, home run. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and uh, and and yeah, mum. So mum died when uh, I was twenty seven. So we'd all sort of gone through, you know, gone grown into grown into adults. So she, um, so that was a big hit to the family. Um, mm. And and it's uh, and and particularly particularly dad because mum had done the majority of the work raising us, and then it was. Um, and, and yeah, you know, as I say, we're, we're adults. Dad didn't need to raise us, but he did step into that as well. So you know, seeking advice from Dad about things, and um, and but also taking more. Oh, not that we were disinterested in Dad, but taking more of an interest in him and more looking after him to make sure he was okay um, as well. It it, it was a uh, yeah. So that's going back two thousand and uh, two thousand and one. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we've all moved on, but still, we we like to like to sort of think, you know, Mum is the the matriarch, and she was she was very good at what she, at, at, very very good at what she did. So, mm. um, yeah, but but it, it, I think just uh, to your question, yes, I think um, people do need to um, need those boundaries set, and yeah. if their boundaries aren't set and it's this is probably even a, a bigger thing for, rather than you know just growing up as an adolescent having those boundaries set I think it's something that as an individual you need to set within yourself because I this is what I see in the work I do now and I know we'll just sort of jump jumping around a bit Luke sorry that's right work yeah, that's right now is I see that people don't set their own boundaries they like might say yes to too many things for example and uh, and 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 that was that was a classic that was a classic for me up until a few years ago. I go, yeah, no worries, I'll do that. Leave it with me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And just over, overload myself. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. That's uh, I think you're spot on with that question. Is yeah. Does it need a bit of firmness, people? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you you joined the you joined the uh, police in 1994 mm-hmm. September. And so what happened from there? What so, was the process through that? That's a wild time to start as well. The the sphere of you know some of the stuff that's going in Australia in the nineteen nineties was pretty crazy, right? Yeah, well, at that time it was uh, we, were, we were just coming at the back end of the underbelly, like in Melbourne, there was quite mm. um, 
well-documented um, gangland wars uh, going yep. on, turf wars and uh, a lot to do with drugs and there was um, elements of uh, corruption within various parts of the police force as well and serious, serious corruption. So, uh, And they were tied in with, you know, with these underbelly um, uh Suspects, crooks, whichever term you want to put it, put on it. I'll, I'll probably use police terms a bit through this, so I do apologise. But alleged crooks or real crooks, um, and so that was um, an interesting time for for the police force. We weren't as sophisticated now, so we weren't as sophisticated then as as the as the organisation moved through, say, the next couple of decades to have um, dedicated analysts and have um, more resources put in place. It was a, 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 it's the, like, police, the policing generally and police forces are are quite um, slow beasts to turn. They often move at a glacial pace and there's a lot of bureaucracy to get through. Um, And it's, it's, and so whether it's, it's, how can I, how can I put this? It's, it, it, it took a long time to catch on and go. This is serious stuff. This is impacting on the on the reputation of the organisation. How do we how do we get past it? But at the same time, what was interesting was the uh, was the um, underbelly TV series glorified yeah. all that. So it's almost like 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 police are the bad guys for like. There's this exciting element that people want to uh, that 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 now this is this is this is my view that i feel people liked the idea of because it wasn't causing harm to your joe citizen like in the in the long run because of the drugs yes it was but the immediate harm just wasn't there it was confined to uh confined to that particular group and then then on top of that um channel nine make a very sexy tv series out of it and glorify everything um So it's it then it's like and then even as police uh, we get seduced into that because you go oh my gosh what an exciting life and and yeah things will be a bit dull if uh, if we if yeah if we arrest all these and we solve all that what's what's next <laughs> so yeah so it's sort of. Uh, uh, when reality probably you're just like it's probably ninety percent paperwork no. <laughs> It is, oh, for sure. And, and I, I, discovered, I discovered that when I joined. I think, there's a lot of paperwork in this. It's, it's like like 95% paperwork, 5% excitement. And so yep. graduating from, so going through the academy, graduating um, in January 95 and then being put out at, um, put out on the beat, if, if I can say that again, didn't know what I was in for. Like, so the academy was a pretty sterile environment really. They did their best, um, then put out on the um, uh, yeah put out put out on the street. So you know, working in a local uh, a local division, just dealing with members of the public as best you can. Really, not much um, in the way of say um, we'll call it you know backup. So if you go to an urgent situation, there would probably be you know, a, maybe one or two units whereas now you get half the police force able to almost attend to an urgent situation so it really became um you were on your own you had a lot of autonomy which was scary uh scary initially but you go well yeah they've 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 trained me up for a reason and i and i get it and 
So I was, it was stepping into adulthood quite, quite quickly. And, um, yeah, drawing guns that I never thought, well, what's actually going Like, this is serious, serious stuff. And it's, it's the thing you train so well and, and versed in, you know, your use of force so much that, yeah, you draw a gun. No, it, it, it only takes a blink of an eye to draw a gun in the right circumstances. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, then dealing with violent offenders, and I remember when, um, like, ice. I first, uh, when I first came across ice, and first started becoming prevalent in the community. My first encounter. Sorry, what's ice? Ice, the drug ice. So, oh, ice, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's um uh like this meth. Yeah, meth. Yes. So crystal meth. Yes. Sorry. No, I, I just thought you said ice in. I'm like, what's ice in? But ice. Yeah. 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 I don't. So um it. It, uh, and I remember it distinctly, and we're, I was we're going going hands on, so I was quite a quite a serious fight with this guy in the street. Mm. And I think this guy's really like me and three other police are trying to get him down, and arrest him because he'd been actually hitting people along the street, like just punching people along the street. And we're we're trying to arrest him and get him on the ground. We eventually got him on the ground, and he was like like. It was like he was just doing this normal push-up and because we were on him trying to get the handcuffs on him, it was like he was doing a push-up and just lifting us up. He just had this superhuman strength. Like I wow. never experienced it. And eventually we got the upper hand um, but I, and got the handcuffs on. But it, 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 that was my first experience of someone that was on ice and just become so enraged from it. And then, yeah, went through the, went through the court system and uh, what what became clear was that he's just a he he'd only really just started using it, and it was just it wasn't well, I, don't, I don't think anyone adjusts to it, but he was normally quite a level headed person, but it's so highly addictive that he was just just consuming it, and it, that's just the sort of thing it does just makes someone absolutely mm. sick. It does different things to different people. But this particular guy, absolutely superhuman strength. Never, never seen anything like it. And then, and then it, it, it just started getting, um, particularly when I moved into a leadership and supervisory role and a, a, a vision across a wider area. Just started seeing that more and more, and like like across you know, this across across the whole of the Melbourne metropolitan area and then it started moving into the country areas as well, your regional centres and then from the regional centres to your rural areas as well. Um, and, uh, and and thinking about that sort of now and dealing and and having dealt with all that, um, like I just sort of, it, it really became a, like, like for me, dealing with those type of people just made me a lot more wary of of people even when um, uh, even when I'd be off duty and so uh, part of that was say even going to a cafe and I still do it now I'm up here um, up here on holiday and I'm sitting at a cafe and I always make sure I can see uh, exit points and things like that and it's, wow yeah so it's just sort of something that is is ingrained and you think no i want to sit where i can see an exit or be near an exit or something um because there's still that hyper vigilance aspect and i've been out of the police force now for 
uh, 18 months, 18 months or right. so. Um, and that's, I think, you know, that, that's, I, I didn't really notice that I was doing that until someone else said it at work that that's what they do. And I go, well, that's actually what I do as well. So, and then you know, just a general conversations among your mates, you go, yeah, that's sort of where, where we tend to sit and where even off duty is, I don't know, just sit near an exit or just be when you're in the public going, right, is something going to happen that I need to deal with? And all that. Um, so, yeah, that hypervigilance all the time uh, was you know, like I really sort of started getting um, like, like, like really started weighing on me, but I didn't want to, I don't think I wanted to admit it because, yeah, yeah it was, um, I don't know, it wasn't, well, it wasn't manly, but why would I admit that I'm hypervigilant and uh, this is actually impacting on my mental health? So just battled through. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where we started on that track, but it was it, uh, it that I think the street policing particularly made me grow up very quickly, and then moving into a supervisory role. Um, and, and, a, and a leadership role and seeing things more and more, particularly things that were impacting on those that I was leading um, mm. and trying to uh, deal with their well-being and um, make sure that they were okay and not uh, and, and you know, get beyond the, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, let's just go and have a drink and deal with it, to go, no. Especially with men. Yeah, especially men. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was... Um, we used to have things, and they they still happen, but it's very, very. It's not nowhere near as common as it used to be. It would be on, so you'd be on night shift with a crew, yeah. And you'd go on the Friday morning, so you'd finish night shift, say six or seven a.m. on the Friday morning. Then you'd go to um, go to a pub and uh, have what they call early openers, and just uh, might end up drinking all morning or all day. And then go back, uh, then go back on duty again, eleven p.m. on Friday night, and work. Yeah, then work uh, fr- Friday night, Saturday night, finish it. Um, finish it, say six or seven a.m. Sunday morning. Um, they've changed their, they've changed how how things are rostered now. But you finish six or seven a.m. Sunday morning, and then it wasn't unusual for groups of police to be drinking all day Sunday, and then start again at three p.m. on the Sunday afternoon. And then, wow. yeah, so carrying a gun and all that kind of stuff. So, and then um, then there'll be night shift barbie. So finish at 11 p.m. on the Sunday night and then, you know, drink some more and have a barbecue at 11 p.m. on Sunday night. So it, um, there was a real drinking culture and that was, it was interesting. Um, I mean, uh, when did that it, it sort of it was probably maybe the mid two thousands when it sort of started. I won't say fading out, but there was just a shift in the culture that 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 stopped it. I don't know where where the whether it was the chief commissioner at the time, um, or whether there was just a shift in societal attitudes that mm. really changed um, the view that oh look maybe we shouldn't be going out drinking so so much on a you know, uh, you know, after after we were meant to be carrying a gun again in the next eight hours, and and to me that was actually quite a relief because I wasn't a big drinker. I'd you know I'd go out to these early openers kind of thing, but I wasn't a big drinker. But it was quite a relief because there's the 
Um, you want to you know, want to be part of the in crowd. Like I don't want to be part of the out crowd. And so there was that conformity as well. So yeah, I know I'm talking a lot, Luke. So, so yeah, so yeah, that's in. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So there's that's that's the thing with Australia though. I think there's a massive drinking culture in Australia. Like me growing up, um, it was like a badge of honor to binge drink. You know, it's like oh, let's go out on Friday night. Let's go all Friday night, have a few hours sleep, and then, you know, let's start drinking again. And then Saturday night, do the same thing. And then Sunday, it's like a badge of honor. Like, oh, like I've, I've been out partying since I was, since Friday afternoon, you know. Yeah. Um, I think less so as you get older. Like, I'm 29 now, and I don't really have anyone. All my friends don't drink. I don't yeah. drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I was, I caused a ruckus when I used to drink. I remember one time I was at, uh, are you familiar with Sydney at all? Uh, a, li- a little bit. I know in a city, so in a, and, and Parramatta. <laughs> right, gotcha. Yeah, so the, in uh, on George Street, there's one of the nightclubs there, Ivy. Um, and I remember it was in 2015. I was I was I was super drunk, and I was uh, in a taxi, and I opened the taxi door on the side of where the cars were coming through, and I was just like, oh yeah, I just opened the door, and the the literally the the bus was like uh, right there, and my hand was like right there. I opened the door and it was like went and smashed the car door off. And I was just – and that was one of many occasions. Like I had one time in, and also in 2012 when I was 18, I was skateboarding doing a fridge to fridge where you go from house to house and you drink. And, um, and that was like, again, that was encouraged, right? And it's like, sure, it's great for someone who has, uh, you know, doesn't have any emotional stuff going on or, you know, I think most teenagers do to be fair yeah. where they can just go out, they just go out and drink and like, oh, yeah, I can have a few drinks. And there was that like maybe five or ten people out of 100 people can do that. But I remember I was skateboarding down this hill and I, uh, me and my friend were skateboarding and like, and, and, and I hit his skateboard, went flying forward and my hand, like I, I smashed glass on my hand and blood was pouring everywhere and, and I was off my head. So I was just like, oh, yeah, we'll keep going. Just wrapped my hand up with my T-shirt, kept going. And then like, everyone's like, no, stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Called the ambulance and I was just like, when you're drunk, you're just an idiot. And I was just one of those, I felt so ashamed the next day because I was one of those idiots that's just drunk and like, you know, being silly, causing chaos at the hospital and that's just to name a few things. So I think in Australia, like the, the biggest issue that we have, I mean, I think less so now. I mean, maybe it's just my age now, but it's just this massive drinking culture. Like, and it's, there's no amount of alcohol that's good for you. Like studies have shown there's no amount of like, not even one or two beers, unfortunately. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have it. It's like, depends if it's, you know, emotionally helping you in the sense of like a relief to take a relaxation or whatever. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, alcohol's not good for you at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really big issue we have here. Yeah. And oh, it's it's interesting you talk about the um, alcohol. I I moved out of um, uh, moved out of a, a, a police prosecutor space. So I was a lawyer for the police for for a number of years, and I moved back to um, frontline policing. And and I remember this guy, and, and so I, I was sort of in frontline policing. Go, oh, it's actually. After seeing, after being in frontline police, then moving into the prosecution side of things, and then moving back to police, I now seeing both how both systems work: the court system and the street, and the yeah, you know, the operational policing system. Work. Policing became as a uh, as as a role quite easy because I go right now. I see all the parts work. where it all goes. Yeah, where it all goes gonna- and how it all works. I was going to ask that as well because, like, I I imagine transparency on where the A to Z goes is a huge incentive, or rather, disincentive for a corruption and b also just doing the right job. Because I imagine officers on the on the on the streets, like you know, dealing with 
uh, antisocial people, mm. um, they don't see what happens in the end. They don't see like, or, or do they? Is there a, do they have some clarity on that now or not really? Well, it's they uh, they are exposed to it, but they yeah. don't um, get a full appreciation of the you know like I suppose it's like any system unless you're in it you don't yeah. really understand it um, yeah so so yes yeah your normal street police uh, uh, yeah, normal your day to day street police is probably a better way to put it um, they will do their street policing and because the uh, the court process is quite a specialised area and you have to go through a, a you know a, a a course to be a police prosecutor and it's quite intense um, a lot don't opt for that path, which is cool. It's just, you know, it's not for them. And so a lot of them um, are quite ignorant maybe and get frustrated about the court system. And I was exactly the same, that until, so let's just say I would um, yeah, see drug dealer, arrest drug dealer. I'll kind of think, yep. okay, right, put them through the court system and they'd get off. And I'd go, oh, man, that's ridiculous. I do all this hard work and that's, and, and that's, um, so I didn't, I didn't understand the other side. Go, there's a lot. There, there needs to be support. Um, but yeah, the drug users. There need to be support plate places. Can't lock everyone up. And I think um, it's been said. It's so times. complex. Yeah, it is so. It, it is so complex. And it's unbelievably complex. Like yes. And and we and and it became clear. And it was again, as one of our chief commissioners said it, um, just more more broadly. He he said we can't arrest our way out of this problem, and it's it's a society wide problem that that police have a part in, but we are not the we are not the answer. And um, and that that was great for me because I was holding on to a lot until that very moment. Like I was going, well, why can't we lock all these people up? Why aren't the courts doing their job? Why can't we lock on? And that was that was my street policing attitude coming in. And then I move into the prosecution side of thing where I see that other, we'll call it 50% for the sake of the number, and just going, right, okay, all these people need help, like regardless of what they're doing, like um, yep. so either the drugs or you know, the, the thefts or the drink driving, there's the, the courts there to actually provide the support. So the police have one role is to put them in front and then the court's job is to make sure that they get support. Yes, there's a lot of people that re-offend and I get that. We won't eradicate that. That's just the way the, the way the way the world is. But there has to be you, um, people can't the court won't let someone go to try and set them up for failure. They yeah. they're trying to set them up for for success. Um, it, it's a flawed system, but it's what we've got. So yeah. Well, I think as well, like um, I think defence lawyers, um, I think people often misconstrue their utility, which is they're there to get crooks off. It's like that's one way to look at it, but it's also they're there to represent someone who might not be represented properly. Do you know what I mean? And it's like if if I if some if I did something right or, or I, I didn't do something, mm-hmm. but then someone's accusing me of something that I maybe did or didn't do, mm-hmm. the law has to have some kind of uh, wall behind it where it's like here's my lawyer showing you like why I didn't do what you thought I did or how it relates to the law. And it's so complex. Like, even trying to talk about it on, on here is like it's going to be a challenge. But I, I think that what's important to note and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously just 29 years old. I'm still learning about life and I think we all are to a degree. But hmm. generally speaking, my experience of, of – and this is so, so general – my experience of, of 
anything or anyone is always compassion and kindness first, yeah. right? Even even for uh, officers, like you see some of those videos on TikTok and Instagram and places like that, where people are like, oh, to the cops, oh, do do your job, like you know, why you go do something else and do your job? It's like that is so small and narrow minded. It's like you like you're speeding, for example, like why are you out catching crooks or you know, it's like why are you doing this? It's like I didn't do anything, I just sped. It's like yeah, but studies show that when you speed this much over, it can increase death by this much. So you're at risk to someone else's life. Yeah. So that's what we're doing what we're doing. So, yeah. And that comes from first having that compassion and that, that, that empathy mm-hmm. and understanding that and if you want to go there, I mean like with COVID stuff as well, it's like, you know, the officer's doing their job. Uh, it's so, it's so yeah. complex is all I'm saying. And I think that compassion and kindness always should lead the conversation, always be the front foot. Mm. And and it's and we we can go there there to the there yeah. to the code because I did a lot of work in that space and there were uh, a lot of exhausted police who first of all hadn't signed yeah. up to um, uh, to police their public health act uh, and the and and uh, give tickets out to people for not wearing their masks and they and yes we all get we, that it, yeah people got yep yeah, that's the that's the law and that's what we're that's what we're doing. Um, but it was still really, really hard because people, it, yeah. it wasn't as, it, it was so, so sudden, if you like. So let's just say, for example, with the road rules, and I'll just use that as an example, that you, uh, you, you, you're born, you grow up through life, you get an understanding as you go through life until you start driving your car, you go, right, I get the difference between right and wrong. Whereas this was, right, like, like, the next day, you've got to all be wearing masks, and the next day, the police are trying to write out tickets. But they've got this whole um, going on in their brain, this whole um, threat system as well, because they've got this yeah. uncertainty. They're going, "Well, I actually don't know what what I'm doing really, because this has just been yeah. thrust upon me from one day yeah. to the next." So, um, and then dealing with the rest of the community, they're also under threat. So you've got probably how many people in the world? Seven. Well, we'll say Australia. What twenty five billion people? Twenty five million people. Yeah. And everyone's under threat. And then the police come in, and then there's another. Yeah, you know, we're just adding another layer for Joe Citizen. It's a threat. So, well, yeah. I mean, also as well, like that doesn't mean that. So. A copper, like they, they, they're going to pay the bills. They have a family to provide for. They can't just be like, oh, I'm not going to do this all of a sudden. And then what are you going to do with your kids? Like, yeah. And it's like if you look at the, the, the statistics again, like most people are living paycheck to paycheck. And it's mm-hmm. like so there's, again, you can still stand your ground to a degree and be kind and compassionate. Like yeah. why aren't you wearing a mask? Look, I, I don't agree with it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Okay, well, this is what's going to happen then. Okay, well, that's I'll fight it with the courts. Like that's yeah. – yeah. Yeah. It's it's so complicated, but I but I, I I feel empathy towards police, but I also understand the frustration towards you know the police that did that as well because it's like why didn't you just say no? Like it's tyranny, like it's. Mm. But again, democracy, it, things change slowly in a democracy. It can't just happen, you know, like all of a sudden, like oh, like I'm gonna stand my ground, and then it's gonna change. It's like no, now we realize that the studies show this and that and whatever. So mm. yeah, there's a whole whole thing around that. Yeah, it is. and it's and and it's it's now that I I, I sort of at, at the time I was I wasn't really like reflecting or thinking about. I mean, there was talk about reputation damage, but I wasn't thinking about the reputation damage to the organisation, to Victoria Police, and probably other police forces as well, for that matter. But there yeah. was like it was um, as whether it be a distrust or disillusionment or um, what with 
with police officers, the ones that are just doing their job, um, and uh, because what's seen as so minor and so controversial um, that, that people sort of go, oh, it's not, like, it's just sort of, I, I don't know, it's, there was just something there, this, this, this tension that built up towards police members working the street, trying to do their thing. But again, going back to their families, they go, well, I'm out in the street dealing with all these people that are that shouldn't be out on the street, and am I going to take um, COVID back to my family, which yeah, everyone thinks is a death sentence. So when you're talking about family, that's what they've got as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember that. I remember, what a weird time to be alive that was. That was strange. That was so odd. Hmm. I remember like uh, being in my house for nine months straight. Right. I didn't get vaccinated. I didn't, didn't, didn't do any jabs or anything, right? Mm. And so I was about 10, 11 months there. Yeah. And I had friends who went to the protests in Sydney who were like, like, oh, we're doing a protest and whatever. And at the time, who I was living with, they were like, look, I don't want you to go because I want to catch COVID. I'm like, that's a very awkward situation. I'm like, hmm, I won't go then, you know, because I didn't want to cause uh, – yeah. There's so many things going on. It's just a weird, weird time. And um, I think what happens when you're on the front line, and I'd love to hear more about this as well from, from a police uh, uh, officer's point of view. Yeah. Um, when you're in the front line, right? So the I think there's always going to be a, a, a small part of the population in any industry, any place where they're going to be a bit tyrannical or kind of get off on control and those kind of things. And that just that's, humans are like, there's always the one to 5%. Yeah. But then you also have people who are good people who, would get frustrated, like like they get that angry towards people. It's like, just come on, just do what we're supposed to do. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get the videos called the, the police officer, like get, getting angry or like being a bit of a dick or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they use that to represent the whole force. It's like, that's just someone who's had up to their teeth, like going over and over this thing again. And I wonder, not just with COVID, but also your experience being a street officer and like your experience with dealing with the public because – me as a citizen, um, I walk out in the street and I'm living in Australia, which is by most recent indexes on, on the, the news that I've read, is one of the most peaceful and best places to live in the world. Sydney, Melbourne, like all these places. I walk out in the street, for the most part, I can walk out the street 4 a.m. in the morning in the Southern Shire here. Nothing will happen to me. <laughs> not, not one thing will happen to me yeah. because we have, we have, uh, we've got something good going on here. So, but then that's because you guys come in and you clear, you clear it all out like you're doing with these people. So what is that like and, and how does that change your opinion on humanity and people and, and life, if yeah. at all? It's, and it's, it's, it's interesting um, that, that you're absolutely spot on. And it's like my, um, my wife, she actually fears going out sort of because I, I, we, we normally live um, in inner Melbourne and, right. um, and she doesn't want to go out at night and walk the streets by herself but i i know full well and i i you know it's um i don't sit there trying to convince her but i know full well that it is actually quite safe to walk the streets of melbourne at night the your chances of being um harmed in some way are very very slim and um but there's still that fear that's instilled, whether it be media or friends or whatever, that's actually, you know. Also that- being a female as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And, um, uh, but it's when it comes to policing more generally, like when look back at 
historically police forces, particularly uh, Western police forces, were were designed to, or the philosophy behind them was that we're there more to prevent crime rather than go and and, and solve it. And so, it's, but part and also part of that is um, police can only police properly with the consent of the community. So we, yeah, bear, bear in mind, so let's just say in Victoria there's, I think it's about uh, 16,000 sworn police. The population right. of Victoria is, I think, about at the moment about 5 million. Now, if, um, uh, think, thinking, thinking about, right, if police didn't have the consent of their community to police, it would be absolutely overrun and absolute mayhem. And, of course, and you'd even go back. I think it was uh, 1923 was a, like the police in Victoria strike uh, went on strike, and it was just riots and looting and everything in the street. And wow! So it's a perfect example of what can happen um, if if police don't have the uh, well, first of all, the authority, but also the the consent of the community. And a good example is even. Um, uh, you, you, know, you get a protest, you might have a protest, you know, a normal protest of, say, might be 5,000 people, for example. It could probably take only up to, say, uh, uh, maybe a dozen to 18 police to actually manage that appropriately, say, direct people where to go, deal with it, um, if it's just your normal peaceful protest. that's. I mean, there's a bit going on in the background, a plan for it, that's cool, but on the day, that's really, really what um, what's needed. Yeah. If we didn't have the consent of that, that those five thousand people could turn on turn on us in a second, but because they uh, people go, well, the police are here to protect us, direct us in the right way. We have that trust, um, and so the the consent of the community and the um, I suppose the the order or orderly way in which people, I suppose, just the way Australia is, I don't know, it's just a sort of quite a law abiding country um, that people just tend to go right, there's the police, we actually do have trust in them, they're doing the right thing by us. They come from the community. Um, they're yeah. not, say, let's just say, um, I don't know, they're not from, say, uh, a country where it's they're completely separate, they're in their own compounds and that kind of thing. We're not we're not at that stage and we, we never would. So um, we have, we, we, we've, the, the community's quite fortunate that the police come from the community. So... Yeah. Well, I think that when it comes down to, to uh, and this is a really interesting point of view, I think, for life, but we all have stories that we live by. You know, the idea of a country is a story. You know, mm. like I live in Australia. I'm Australian. Mm. There's no Australia. Like, <laughs> there, there, there is, but there isn't, if that makes sense. Like it's not, it's a story we tell ourselves. So the, the narrative of uh, police in, in uh, enforcing law and to keep people safe and protected, um, there's trust there. So we, we choose we have an agreement saying like an unconscious agreement to a degree. Mm. I'm Australian. I, I agree that uh, you're going to look after me and I trust you guys. So therefore, please do what we need to do. And sometimes there might be mess ups and I trust that the system will correct that. And mm. I, I think that the, the date was 2004. The Royal Commission came in for the underbelly stuff or whatever it was. I think it was 2004, was it? Yeah, I think, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Um, well, this. There, there, there seems to be uh, a lot of ongoing stuff with the Royal... But I think it was 2004 that there was Royal Commission. There's been another recent Royal Commission about a lawyer who was heavily involved in um, in defending the uh, a lot of the underbelly 
um, characters. We'll call them that. Right, and right. She was uh, she was also um, uh, like uh, used as an informer. So yep. she so her she she was getting um, she was working both sides in that. Oh, she, yeah. So she so let's just say you had um, and uh, yeah. I, Let's just say you had uh, no person A who was her client, um, yep. who was in underbelly, who was an, a, a part of the underbelly characters, um, would give her information, and then she would actually pass that information on to police. And right. so, so because of her acting, she wasn't. She well, first of all, she wasn't acting in the best interests of the client, um, and now she and and police were acting on her information to proceed with their investigations and warrants and all that kind of thing as well. So, right. again, that completely destroys, This is, I think, going off on a bit of a tangent from what, where you're going, but um, that destroys That's right. the reputation. Oh, in fact, probably the same. It's destroyed, destroys that trust and reputation in Victoria Police, but also destroys the, or damages is probably a better word, um, the, the trust people have in the judicial system and trust yep. in the lawyers as well. Because um, again, I learned that not 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 uh, not all lawyers are what well, we called it the dark side. Um, they're not. They, they want the, what's best for the client. They want a fair outcome as well. So yeah. that's that's what I learned. And I go right. If we're all after a fair outcome, that's great. I'm here to represent the community. You're here yep. for the best interest of your client to get a fair outcome. That's cool. Let's work with that. Um, yeah. And, but this was um, on an absolutely, this Lawyer X scandal was on an absolutely unprecedented scale of, of, of unfairness. As uh, allegedly bad as her clients were, and what, what, what was being, how the investigation was being handled was yeah, yeah. totally unfair. So. Well, that's the thing, right? Like everyone deserves representation. You know, everyone deserves a proper uh, respect of like a trial and, you know, like you're guilty. I'm just going to decide you're guilty off to the, the hanging shed for you. It's like, no, there needs to be a process. Um, yeah. do, do you remember some of the figures? I don't know if you can talk about it or not, but do you remember some of the figures in uh, that underbelly scene? Like I think one guy was DK and what's the big kingpin guy that recently got stabbed in prison? I forget his oh, name. Oh, Tony Mockbell. Um, I think it was about four years ago he got stabbed. He was like the... Uh, yeah. The main character and like he got got caught and sent away yeah. and big drug dealer. Yeah, um, I, I think you're talking about Tony Mockbell. He was the guy. He was the one. He it, 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 he was the one that was arrested in Greece with the wig. I know. Oh right, no, I'm not, not not him. He was the Australian guy. I think he was a bit shorter, and he was on the on the underbelly show. He was dating that that chick, and they were running this huge drug thing. And oh yeah 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 got um. I forget his name. I'm sure if we ask Dr. McGoogle. Um, yeah, was, yeah that's, that's, we can. We can. Yeah, absolutely. So let's have a look. Underbelly. Uh, who was Kyle, Like Kyle or something? I don't know if it was Kyle. No, 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 Carl Williams? Carl Williams, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah he, was, he was massive. And what was interesting was how that, how that was um, like how – his coming under the coming to the notice of police, how that actually occurred. Like um, in the Underbelly series, he was he had a pill press, and he was operating that pill press in his house, 
and the police had come around to get serve him. Uh, I think it was a summons for yep. uh, for driving offences. And the copper that was doing it was switched on enough to go, "What's going on here?" And actually, that's how he was he was discovered was as a as as a as pretty well as what at the very beginnings of being a major player in the whole thing. So wow. yeah, yeah. So it's it, 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 you know, getting back to policing. It's those minor things. Um, there was a because I used to well, part when when I was in when I was in police, I spent three years policing the sex industry and and um, human trafficking. And How was that? That was uh, probably uh, Luke, probably the three of the most fulfilling years of my career. It was amazing. Tell, tell us about that. I'd love to hear about that if you don't mind. Well, so uh, again, this and this is going to sound weird. Is um, like prior to actually join joining the unit, so I was. Uh, uh, got selected for it because it's not as though you could have any particular person and any any person. And as much as we say, "Oh, police are nice," there's some some people aren't. There's there's a there's a scale of, of of people who should be in that unit. Some zero, some ten, and so it was one of those things where I go right. I was, I was to be honest, I was at a point in my career. Where I go, I just don't know what to do, and this opportunity came up, and I was um, spoke to. Uh, the boss of the unit, and um, and you know, we we'd, ne- we'd never met, but sort of yeah, you know, we seemed to, seemed to click. And I said, no, I've never actually ever been in a brothel before, other than police. Like uh, on a couple of occasions, I've never ever been in a brothel before. And she goes, "Sounds perfect. That's great. So you won't sort of come with any sort of untarnished or sort of any sort of real um, biases, so that you don't know what to expect. That's cool. We'll teach you. That's great. So." Uh, Started off with um, my first job there, and I can talk about this because it's all over the papers, so that's cool. Um, was went down to a, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll use these terms. There's illegal brothels and illegal brothels. So your illegal brothels are like your, your shops, um, massage shops, and things like right. that. So bear in mind, not all massage shops are illegal brothels, but there's a lot. So anyway. But went down to a legal brothel, and in Victoria, there's about ninety legal brothels, and we'd received information that um, there was a woman, a, a sex worker, who had been um, secreted in a wall. So when authorities came around to check the brothels, she would be put into a wall cavity, and hit. and so it's like, oh my god. And so and this is really my little literally my within my first month at um, uh, in in the unit yeah and so we go down there and we're looking around and it was uh, it was a larger brothel and so we're looking looking around and couldn't find anything like that would go well can't find any sort of um, doorways or anything like that it was quite odd and uh, and yeah, so we sort of left empty-handed because we didn't really know. We knew we were looking for a person, but didn't know who it was, or um, and didn't know really what they looked like or anything. So there was sex workers there, but they were fine. Like you know, we check on the welfare of them; that's fine. That's no dramas. And the and the uh, brothel owner was there as well, and uh, wasn't um, being overly helpful. And so then we left, 
uh, with with a couple of other government agencies, and then got a got more information about exactly where they were in the brothel. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking in that room. I'm going, there is no doorway, no cupboard, no nothing in there, no medicine cabinet. And yeah, when I yeah, I, like most people, when you think of a medicine cabinet, you think about that square box on the wall. And so I um, uh, went. Uh, so we went, you know, went back down there, and uh, either the next day, the same day, or the next day, I can't remember. And went in there and went straight up to the room where we'd been told. And looking at this room, I'm going, I have no idea, like what's going on, like what's going on, like uh, not what's going on, but I just can't imagine without. I'm looking in dryers, like washing machines, everything. Looking at this person, and I just happened to be, happened to um, be looking at this shelf that had like listerine and plastic cups on it not going to the cups and everything was blue tacked down and i go oh what's going on here and then all of a sudden it was about that you now it's about a 30 degree day um in melbourne all of a sudden this gust of hot air came in from the sides and i had a look a close look and, and as it turned out this this cabinet was a door and so um we so basically of speaking to the brothel owner going what's this and he goes i don't know what it is it's just a set of shelves because it looked like a set of shelves and um built actually built into the wall so um sort of set within the uh, um what do you call it the plaster and Mm -hmm. after a bit of a go managed to reef it open and look inside and here's this um uh i think yes you chinese little chinese woman just looking up and she'd been like told, as it turned out after um, an investigation, she'd been told to when authorities come, she's got to hide in there. Now, what? Uh, so, so, what was interesting about? And I, I learned this as I sort of you know went along with regard to human trafficking, was that it, with with human trafficking, don't have to like it's not as it, it just has to be threats over you really that that something's going to happen to you it's not like you might think in the movies where everyone has to be trained chained to something for mm. servitude or debt bondage or whichever part of human trafficking you want to talk about um but uh it's really it's that it's go well i've got maybe for example i've got a debt to pay off um and uh, I'd say back in the mother country, and uh, if I get caught, then I'll have to be forced back, and I won't have to. I'll have to pay off that debt some other way. For example, so yeah, wow. What we so she and this is again a lot of learning at this on, on this particular um, instance was a lot of learnings from a, um, a few different agencies, particularly us as uh, Victoria Police and um, other agencies. Was she was put into. Um, because she became an unlawful non-citizen, she was put in immigration detention. And so I went and spoke to her there with an interpreter, and uh, and then you know, so we we got got as, as police we got what we needed. So we're sort of this singular focus. Um, we're going right. We've got what we needed. Um, border force have now need to do what they need to do. Not thinking, ah, oh, well, actually, she needs our protection. We can't just kick her out of the country. She needs our protection. But by the time we sort of got our act into gear, like um, Border Force had said, uh, had, had arranged for her to to exit the country. So that so now she's gone back to maybe another situation, and it was and and that sort of really hard. Uh, like it still sits with me. 
as a game. Yeah. They didn't do right by this person. We we got a end up getting a result against the brothel owner at um, the tribunal in Victoria about the brothel licence. But then, yeah, the flip side was, well, now, yeah, we've got that. That's great. But then we go, well, now we've got a person who actually don't know what's happened to them once they've exited, exited Australia. And that was, so that um, was a really, uh, like, like a big moment for me to understand these are really, really vulnerable people. Um, and probably some of the most vulnerable people in the community. And there's a stig, there is, and for a long time, as much as we try and remove it, there's a stigma attached with um, being a sex worker. Um, and, and and that uh, there's a lot of support agencies, so I discovered, that are working in the background to support sex workers in the industry, either, either exit it or if they want to stay, support them to stay. Um, there's a lot of agencies now also working to um, uh, um, to just I suppose yeah just just make life make life better for them and not make it mm. so that, um, that that sex workers are seen as second second class citizens and yeah what um, where like it's it's I don't know whether it's awareness um, education or whether it's a, a fact of a, you know a fact of life um, that the number of people coming into Australia to um, work in the sex industry and what are suspected as being trafficked is actually on the increase, and so it's and and uh, and again you sort of think oh well, human trafficking doesn't happen in Australia yeah it definitely doesn't it's been happening for years and years and years and years it's just that we haven't um, been aware of it and. Um, uh, forced marriage also comes under the banner of uh, it comes under the leg- human trafficking legislation, and I and um, like uh, like a lot of police and a lot of people in the community, I just translated forced marriage to be an arranged marriage and didn't really think much of it. But no, they're they're quite a different set of circumstances, and right. um, and so with an arranged marriage, is yeah, there's that element of consent. You go, yeah, I consent to marrying that guy. That, you know, my parents arranged with me. This is just you are marrying that person whether you like it or not um, and they have you know have no say in it so what when I, I went around sort of uh, I went around Victoria so the regional areas of Victoria and did, I suppose did a road show to um, raise awareness around human trafficking and I had a few police particularly in the rural areas would come to me and say I actually had a case of what I thought was um, an arranged marriage going back, say, 12, 18 months prior, but now I understand it was, for, it was a forced marriage because I'd been to this family violence incident and but thought, oh, it's an arranged marriage, like never, ever heard of forced marriage. Um, by that stage, the person had left their community and whatever's happened. So it's uh, so it definitely the, the forced marriage does happen. Um, and human trafficking more generally, say your sexual servitude, debt bondage, um, yeah, all your modern slavery and slavery-like offences, they all, they're, they're all, they're all occurring and it's... It, How yeah, much? Yeah. That's a, that, yeah, and that's, um, that's a really good question. Um, they don't know exact figures, but they, they suspect, um, and, I, and these are figures going back, uh, probably... 
12, 18 months ago since, since I last read them, but I think it's, um, I'll go, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it figure on. I just can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's, it. Is that thousands or hundreds? Yeah, or? it's hundreds. It's in, it's in the hundreds, but that's a very conservative estimate. So, and, and, but you, it, but you would be edging up towards the thousands, particularly when you talk about things like um, debt bondage. So people working on, um, even on farms really as well. Small income, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and often how it would work would be that, so let's just say, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick a country, um, I'll, I'll say, let's just say China, for example, I'll just pick a country, I'm not saying that that's where they're predominantly from or anything, it's just picking a country. So there would be this situation of a, um, uh, a woman, um, and I'll say it's a woman because it's predominantly women, um, clock, um, clocks up a debt of, could be five, five thousand, ten thousand dollars $10,000, and, uh, and they go, oh, how am I going to pay this off? And somehow they would be in touch with, let's just say, a loan shark. And yep. the loan shark will go, oh, okay, well, um, you can actually earn a lot of money, for example, in Australia, might even be America, might even be somewhere else, um, earn a lot of money in Australia working at my cousin's restaurant. And you just go, and they go, oh, okay, and they'll pay out to pay that off. And they go, yeah, no worries. What will, um, what often happens is they go, right, okay, we'll send you to Australia to work in the, um, work in my cousin's restaurant. And then you land in Australia, someone picks you, picks you up and says, oh, when we said restaurant, we meant brothel. And so then, then it, but then it's a matter of um, to pay it off. Um, then it's a matter of, um, sorry, my phone's ringing, I was just looking at my watch, sorry about that. Um, right. Matter of paying, paying it off through um, the uh, providing sex to clients, but the person, the woman actually won't earn any money, um, it won't start paying off her debt until she's actually repaid all the costs of actually getting her out to Australia. And then they'll say, oh, say, for example, they come out to Australia and it might be, ah, oh, we'll add this fee on, that fee on, da, da, and all these bodgy fees to, to get it up. What could possibly happen then is the victim of it then um, uh, then goes, well, there was a lot of money to be made here, and they become the offender as well. So so they can then, they, they it's almost, um, what is it, Stockholm Syndrome, where they then move up the ranks and then they recruit. And there's a, um, a Ripper investigation um, conducted by the AFP called Operation Catrino that there was uh, the head of that syndicate, um, Major Kim, which is, um, she was, I think it was raking in about $90,000 a week. Um, and that, that was after all the um, recruiters were paid all the brothel owners were paid all that kind of thing as well so um then so so, th so there's a lot going on and we could probably spend a whole episode talking about that but there's yeah. also well. in the sex industry side of things there's also the massage shops so a lot of massage shops um so they were uh brothels operating under the guise of a legitimate massage shop so it, and in 
when when I was um, when I was in the unit, we had estimated that we had about five hundred across Victoria, vast majority in metropolitan Melbourne. So um, it's uh, so we work with um, with Border Force and AFP to um, go in, and really our focus there was checking well uh, in find indicators of human trafficking, but also check that. Um, the workers were being um, being you know, properly treated, just just more generally, and just just raise awareness that um, that if you operate as an uh, as uh, um, you know provide sex in a massage shop, you have a license. It was sort of you know, no go. Um, we also got um, uh, like fair work on board as well because you know just want to make sure everyone's being paid. So so a lot of it was end up being disruption because these were these were. Uh, notoriously hard to prove because we would do investigations and you'd often need clients coming out of these places to get and you need to get a statement off them and you need to get them to court now who wants to put their hand up and say i'll do a statement that i just went in and got sex with and i've got a whole family so no no one's to, no one say no one not many people openly want to talk about their sex life um or whatever you know uh, um and and assist police and then have to actually go through the process, getting back to the court process. I mean, you know, if that get, comes to that point of actually getting up in court and saying that they got sexual services from this massage shop. So one of the roles there was, um, uh, one of the big things there was was disrupting the business as well and working with a lot of different agencies and organisations um, and um, uh, to, yeah, to really sort of disrupt um networks our main focus with those investigations was actually going after the boss so again going back to the um uh, yeah the sex worker being or the, the worker being probably you know down the we'll say the bottom of the chain and the most vulnerable um we wouldn't focus on them um we'd, we'd yeah, it'd go back to right who's at the top of the chain here yeah actually target and um, it's like it's like um, uh, yeah, it's 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 similar to say uh, street sex workers. Like you know, I mean, you can charge street sex workers, but really, the the source of their income is drive the, the, is the gutter crawlers driving along the street. Um, yeah. On it, you're trying to get the sex worker. Um, so if you cut the head off, if you stop them, then you know the the you're not going to have the exploitation of the sex worker trying to put them in a more safe position. So. Um, mm. Yeah, so there was there's, there was a <laughs> there's a lot a lot going on in the sex industry, and again, it's uh, going back to that underbelly bit. There's a there's you know, fair bit of underbelly work going on as well, um, and so we probably only scratched the surface of say organised crime going on in the industry as well, and um, you know, drugs and blackmail and a whole whole range of other things as well. It's um, it's 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 probably one of well, part of the reason is it's probably one of the last um for two things it's one of the last cash industries as well yeah like, you, know, you know people don't tend to pay with credit card with it but also um okay getting back to the vulnerable people in it a lot of the sex workers i came across had left quite horrific relationships and because the records in in the brothels were quite loose. Um, they they didn't actually have to provide a legitimate name, and so yeah. they 
had that protection where they didn't have to because they, there was no record keeping. They couldn't actually be trapped by abusive um, part, partners as well. So, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on. I've gone sort of all over the place, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was fun. So yeah, yeah. So what do you think we need to do to to cure this or to attempt to cure it? I mean, we're doing all we can now. I suppose that making it more awareness is one thing. I imagine. Um, what else is there? Yeah, well, I, well, it is that it's it is interesting. It, it is that awareness, and and um, and I think understanding why sex workers are doing what they do. Um, it's yeah. it's not yeah. as though they're doing. You know, I mean, some probably did. Some probably finished high school and go, yep, oh, look, I'm, 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 my main drive is to be a sex worker and that's great. And that, that might be the case, but the majority are doing it out of absolute absolute um, necessity. And, yeah. Um, and it's it, – there's uh, – a lot of them don't realise that they're being exploited. Um, yeah. So uh, – and they've got – there's a lot of things going on in the background. The – the awareness piece, and I'm starting to see it more and more. Um, there was a big report, I think it was the Age and Herald Sun, that went over a few days, uh, not the Herald Sun, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald, that went over, I think, a few weeks, actually, um, of a very, very, we'll say dogged, uh, dogged reporter who exposed a lot about human trafficking in Australia and, and around the world. So um, we're, doing, we're doing a lot um, as well. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, I, I suppose inter- in, incidental awareness raising as well, because there's a modern the modern slavery act in Australia, and this is again around the world. There, uh, so let's just say I think it's a, a business that has I think over a hundred say a hundred million dollars turnover in Australia has to have a modern slavery statement and there um, and see if they and investigate their supply chain to see um, where. The slave, where, where the modern slavery exists within their supply chain and eradicate it, so either change suppliers or or do whatever they need to do. So that's it's um, so there's there, there's that yeah, as I say, incidental awareness raising in that in that regard. So yeah, yeah. So um, that as I say, um, probably the three of the most fulfilling years I had in the police force because it went to the heart of what I um, what I thought policing was once I got in there is actually protecting quite vulnerable people, and the you couldn't get much more vulnerable than what I was dealing with pretty well day to day day to day in that role. So yeah, and very 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 dedicated police that were were in that and doing a, an outstanding job with the resources that they had. So yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was good. Yeah. Wow. Well, we could talk all day about this, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. And, um, yeah, I guess I, I wanted to ask what, what you're doing now. I mean, we spoke a bit about the police force and everything. Maybe we can talk yeah. about what you're doing now and, and where people can find you and all those kind yeah. of things if you yeah. wanted to. Well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, um, now, also, I, I, uh, after I left the um, uh, doing the sex industry work, I moved into, I suppose, uh, corporate areas um, and uh, – and worked on um, uh, you know, organize, uh, organizational values and whole, whole uh, and also um, uh, leadership development for police. 
And I thought, oh, well, I've, I've got a passion for the sex industry, but that's sort of only something that's sort of this niche area of policing. So I was like, right, okay, I really enjoy the leadership development. So I worked with police for um, two years on, um, uh, on delivering leadership training to really sort of upskill them, understand contemporary leadership. Really loved it so much that I thought, well, I could actually do this on the outside as well. So I left police January um, January two thousand uh, January twenty one uh, two thousand twenty one, and haven't looked back. When um, and so now I run my own leadership development business. What uh, what I also have, and this is I suppose on the side, and as much as I said that's a niche area, the sex industry. Uh, uh, a former colleague of mine who's retired, he came to me and said do you want to do some more work in the sex industry? And I said, well, look, I'm passionate about it. And so what's happening in Victoria is they're actually decriminalising the sex industry. And so um, pretty well it's a, 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 it's, it's a, those, so for example, those massage shops that I was talking about don't have to be registered. They no longer become illegal brothels. They're just a massage shop. They provide sexual services, go fill up. So we're now like um, looking at working with uh, local government agencies and um, and state government agencies to uh, to consult to them to go. This is our understanding industry. Um, these are the people you find it. This is what human trafficking is. So we're doing that. So I most of my work is in the leadership development space, and I absolutely love it, like executive coaching and leadership development. And probably ten percent of my work at the moment, because it's sort of people, because these agencies are trying to get their head around it. So government, um, local government, and state government agencies trying to get their head around it, but consulting to to those as well. So, so uh, I'm in a, I'm in a bit of a happy space. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn. Um, that's where uh, I tend to um, do a lot of do a lot of my work, and also um, I've got my own little website of headtohead.net.au. If you Want to jump on uh, jump on board and, and have a look? So um, the 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 work that I uh, did in police from the leadership development that um, is tra- just so transferable. So often, police think about the command and control structure as the only way to lead, whereas that you know, sort of that policing side of things was a bit. Different, and as it turns out, police aren't the only ones that fall into that sort of category or that trap because using your authority is easy. It's actually managing people; it's the harder bit that um, and the messier bit that creates a change across the organisation. And and it's and, and yeah, as I say, it's something that I'm that I'm really really passionate about. As you, it's just uh, that that I haven't really looked back when. I tell people, you know, just when I introduce myself to, to clients and I tell them I was ex-police, um, often I get asked the question, oh, why did you, why did you leave? Yep. And this comes back to a bit of a well-being space that I really, um, what I found was I was suffering com- from a bit of compassion fatigue and it's, it's something that I go, well, yeah, what, like, it's not. I'm. I'm trying to empathise with you, but I. I'm just treating this like a, like a Job. numbers game. Like a. Like you know. Well, and 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 I, sometimes I found myself going, well, why'd you put yourself in that, that place in the first time, the first place, and get yourself beaten up in you know one of the nightclub districts in Melbourne, like ridiculous. Like what are you doing at three o'clock in the morning? Um, 
so it when I when that sort of started coming to the fore, like that compassion fatigue and not showing that empathy and compassion, I go, oh look, it's it's time time to get out. Um, and and I remember this is going taking you right back to the start of this conversation when a girlfriend of mine said, "There's nine weeks till you leave." I said, "Sign me up." I remember saying to her, look, if I lose my smile and enthusiasm for life, then it's time for me to leave. And that's, that's, I, I, it, it, that came back to me. I remember sort of thinking, yeah, I did say that. It's time to go. Time to go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but again, it's the skills that I've learnt, um, the leadership stories, the, 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 um, stories that have allowed me to um, be in a position to provide really robust sort of leadership development training for individuals and organisations. So, yeah. Mm. Anyone who's been a leader before will know straight away that uh, humans are quite messy and not in a good or bad way. They just are what they are. Mm. And you've seen the absolute nth degree of, I imagine, both, like, you know, both ends of the emotional spectrum, especially when it comes to, you know, your, 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 uh, would you call it your force or your team of police who are going out there and dealing with the world and then, oh yeah, that's all good. Then you have to yeah. find a way to get through that. And then there's a conversation, the holding space for that. And, you know, even in business, you realize that happens all the time, but I imagine in that situation, you yeah. would have a lot of skills to, to deal with that. So, mm. um, yeah. So I really yeah. appreciate coming on and, and yeah. thank you for your time. I wish we'd go for longer and, um, chat about this more because there's so much, that we're sharing oh, here that's that's yeah. pretty to hear so yeah but, but if if uh anyone, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this for till and um, i'll say to the cows come home but um just you know <laughs> whenever whenever yeah if someone wants to get in touch with me i'm more than happy to have a chat about policing if there's someone who's think even thinking about joining the police force happy to talk about that um if someone wants wants me for leadership development happy to talk about that as well um there's it's it, I'm I'm a I'm a very open book and I'll be very very honest with um uh I'm very honest with them. It was a great career. There was just some elements of it that I just yeah, really really sort of um me. But I I'm a much I, I had a lot of growth. Very very. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Richard. Thanks, pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Luke. Great, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, reach out anytime.